Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today, we're talking about American Psycho. Is that a gram? New card. What do you think? Whoa. Very nice. Look at that. Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good coloring. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Braille. It's very cool, Bateman, but that's nothing. Look at this. That is really nice. Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. <laughs> that is really super. How do nitwit like you get so tasteful? <laughs> this is a satirical, psychological, horror thriller, music review, drama with comedy elements. Directed by... Mary Heron. The cast includes Patrick Bateman, Patrick Bateman, Patrick Bateman, Patrick Bateman, and Patrick Bateman. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. All right, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for American Psycho? Okay. A music podcaster tries to do live shows. That's American Psycho. Let's get right into it. Let's start with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about American Psycho? Um, I think the the most standout thing, the thing that I like the most, is definitely Christian Bale. Um, he is and continues to be my favorite actor, and this movie is just another example of why he is so great. Um, and it's, I mean, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And I want to talk more about that a little bit later. Um, there's some really, really iconic scenes and, um, like really memorable moments, um, that uh, like stand out in this movie, even though a lot, a lot of other stuff is kind of forgettable. Um, there's really, you know, top shelf, reach high up and grab it. You can see it from far away, satire of American culture. Um, it is both shocking, thrilling, and unbelievable. What about you? I echo your sentiment on Christian Bale. He is so amazing. It's just, I mean, I love him in almost everything he does. And he's so amazing, it's not fair. <laughs> it really, yeah, seriously. Like, it, I, this would definitely not be the same movie without him. It's interesting because they almost had Leo as the uh, Patrick ba uh, ba Bateman role, but yeah. um, I'm really glad it was uh, Christian Bale. This movie is thrilling without being too over the top i mean there's definitely some horrific stuff that happens but they don't force you to see everything there's a lot of implied violence and a lot and implied uh, or implied um gore and stuff which is as a person who's somewhat squeamish i appreciate the level that they go to um, i feel like this movie rewards attention to detail there's definitely uh, uh because i've seen this movie before watching it again i was like oh oh my gosh i, I just noticed that like i de definitely didn't <laughs> i didn't notice that before um and i love movies that do that this movie trusts you to be intelligent doesn't like explicitly explain every little detail to you um which when i saw it when i was younger made it confusing and now that i'm older and i have a fully developed brain made it fantastic uh there's wow. a lot of great dialogue in this movie it's just fun to hear them talk and i feel like this movie gets a full use out of almost every single scene especially the business card scene. That <laughs> I know is, that's your favorite. <laughs> I love that scene. That's the type of scene where sometimes I'll just go on YouTube and, be, and like just search American Psycho business card scene just to watch it again. Uh, just 
it's so amazing and there's so many of those scenes in this movie uh, but that one for me specifically sticks out of the top now let's go on to our cons what we didn't like and i'll honestly i had a tough time critiquing this movie i think it does what it's trying to do really well my one criticism is that the ending was vague but i feel like that's probably more on me than the movie and i'm excited to ta- hash that out here today on this podcast but what about you what didn't you like about so it? when you say the ending is vague i think what you mean to say is that the ending makes the entire movie vague because you don't you can't believe anything that you're seeing and i think that's kind of i think that's to this movie's detriment it puts you really off balance and i think that there's a lot it's trying to say that gets muddled when you're trying to figure out what's real or not and i know that's like that's the point but Starting with some sort of basis in reality is really important for something like this because then you suddenly have an idea of where you can, what you can trust, right? And you can start building from there. Something like Memento does that, like a really good job with that. But like this movie, you you see it everything from Patrick Bateman's perspective. You see it at things as he envisions it, seeing them. So you don't know what's real, and you don't know what's really happening at all. So uh, it's, I feel like you can make a good point about how. Like that doesn't like that's kind of the point that Patrick Bateman is meant to be beyond our like uh, ability to understand him. But I think that's also not the purpose of it. It seems like he's supposed to be a very specific satire of a very specific kind of person. And if you muddle that with what's even real, then you start adding in like, you know, um, you know, you, you can start picking away at what the satire is really about. Definitely. Uh, it, it's difficult to distinguish what is, yeah, like specifically criticism and what is just like confusing. Yes. Um, also, I, I didn't, I haven't read the book. Um, I didn't read it, see any like uh, um, interviews with the author, but I did catch a little snippet of one. And it made me start to question whether this movie really deserves to be made. Like, what, what, what is, like, is it really best, is this story really best served? in a movie aspect or is it best is the medium that best serves patrick bateman a novel and i think the movie kind of makes the case that maybe the book is actually the way to go and i want to talk a little about that well because right now yes yes and that, we'll, we'll get right to that but as a person who freaking loves this movie um to hear that there's potentially a better medium that it exists within is intriguing that is the type of thing that would get me to sit down and potentially read a book do you know how long it is <laughs> <laughs> it, I have it in Audible. It's eight hours. That's it? Don't know what to, I don't know how long that is. That's not very pages. long. That is short. Um, okay. Well, we'll see. By the end of this podcast, <laughs> I might be headed towards Audible. But all right, let's get By into By the end our- of this podcast, we're going to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, that's our pros and our cons. Uh, that gives us a solid foundation to start from. Now let's get into the details of it. Let's get into our overall section. Take it away, Joey. So I, first thing I want to talk about is the vagary of it. So one of the things that really stuck out to me is how there's all these monologues with, you know, visuals on screen. And it's just, it's just um, Christian Bale speaking to a microphone, like voicing over whatever's happening. The, the dialogue in this movie, or at least those monologues, it's, it's very like, pretty. It's very well written. And I don't know if those are taken directly from the book or not, but it wouldn't surprise me if they are because they don't really fit into the rest of the movie. You know, they the, sometimes there's visuals that don't really correspond directly to what he's saying. There's that one scene at the beginning where he's like cleaning himself that I think 
like obviously it, it, like he's describing what he's doing but then when he goes into a more specific about like how he's built as a person it starts it like it stops being so relevant except for when he's peeling that mask off his face that's pretty cool what do you, what do you the, mean though like he describes the way his his fitness routine it shows him like stretching and doing sit-ups right. and stuff but i mean i have the quote right here when he's talking about like Patrick Bateman as a abstraction, as someone, as something that doesn't really exist. Oh right. right do, okay. What visuals can you use to to place that? And then there's that there's that last monologue at the end when he talks about uh, how he he's still feeling pain despite achieving all the things he wants to achieve. Right. It's just kind of a, a st like a still or like you know moving a little shot of the room and it's showing all the other people that he's with. It's, I mean, there's not, there's no sort of contrast between what he's saying and what he's, and what you're seeing in a way. Okay. It's almost as if they were like, uh, I don't know what to put here. We'll just, you know, shoot the room, I guess. It, it's, it's, there's not all, it doesn't quite add up. It doesn't quite give you everything you're looking for. And that's because every, you, I think the movie wants you to focus on the, what he's saying. And, what he's saying is a well-written thing, yeah. which is probably, again, from the book, right? He, it's, it's, it's best served as him explaining what he's doing more so than showing it. Okay. It's interesting that the movie decided that really the best way to, to explain Patrick Bateman is not to really show you everything he does, but to tell you, right? Right, and and I, I see what you mean. Like, it, there's something illusory to saying there is like Patrick Bateman is just an idea. Like, you can what you see before you um, is just that, just an image. And it's like, yeah, I'm just staring at his face, you know. And, and right. he, can, he looks steely eyed and whatever. But um, you're right. I I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from. Is this really? It doesn't matter what you're looking at. The words are really the hardest hitting thing. Yes, and like as a visual medium like you you kind of fall back on that right that's not something you like you you're putting that in post right you're assuming that you're gonna be able to do that you're not going out of your way to show that they do do a good job of showing patrick bateman in his environment and like how he acts and everything and i think that's a really good testament to christian bale but i think the character of patrick bateman is really compelling and is a little too complex to fit into a film because of how short form films typically are right if you were to go all the way and like try to really explain everything you would miss out on the pace and tone that it's that really aids this movie's like feeling like it really does feel like you're kind of this slow build in a way to oh, this yeah you know craziness and i think that that does the movie justice and does, does the story justice but you in the end you end up missing out on all of maybe the complexity that patrick bateman presents and instead you kind of have this idea of a person that you are you have to extrapolate on your own i um, I, I like that you brought up the pacing because i did i did think the pacing was really good because you get to see one of the more brutal killings which is the murder of paul allen early on to the movie because there's all these little hints you're seeing it's like um he you know he, he said it was crayon apple or whatever the, that was staining his sheets when he was at the laundromat. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very obviously blood. You know, it's like, well, how much are you drinking, man? And what a huge <laughs> spill. And um, and the fact that they can't get it out too. Um, I, I'm like, blood is notoriously tough to get out of uh, clothing. And you're you're about 30 minutes into the movie when paul allen gets murdered that way and you're like oh great now we're left with this monster for the next like you know the rest of the movie i don't know how long you know if you've not, never seen it before but you're like 
what what else you know and, yeah 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 and i and where's where are we going from here yeah like it felt like a big it felt like a slow enough build but it still gets you to that super early um and then you have a lot more time um after that that you have to sit with this monster right so i feel like if you if the movie was longer which i don't want it to be uh, i feel like it was a good length but if if you were to go further or deeper into bateman um then you would have to be it would have to be longer but what you end up with is kind of this idea of what Patrick Bateman is without him like really being flushed out as what like what he's all about, I guess. It's it's almost there, but you're really left to fill in the blanks yourself. Um, and I feel like that makes the movie kind of hollow, which I think you could say is like Patrick Bateman in a way that he is kind of hollow. But I don't know if that's really a characteristic you want with your movie is to mirror your character so that you're trying to, you know, uh, disparage uh, by also making it have the same characteristics as him. Right. Yeah. Very. It's very adherent to the motif. It's kind of like a having your cake and eating it too. But in this case, like the cake is you know empty inside. So <laughs> right. It's Just uh, a picture. Okay. Like you can make the argument where there's like it's totally intentional. It's worth it. It's the only time you want a movie to have this bad quality. But it's like but it's still a bad quality. Like, <laughs> um, right. Which, yeah, right. It, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's still, it still somewhat fits though. Cause there's so much in this movie about ambiguity and mistaken identity and, um, appearing to be unique and, and not really being, um, but we'll, we'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, I think we have to, sh- I mean, we've already kind of done this, but Christian Bale is amazing in this movie. Um, yes, and, yes. and one of the things that I love about thrillers is a character who's able to like effectively be a psychopath. Like there's one thing to be like a scary murderer who is like screaming and yelling and chasing after you with a chainsaw, which obviously he does in this, but he's really scariest when he is totally calm while he's doing these like ridiculous bad things how they fail to uh change him uh and he he acts normal around such carnage i i feel like the only my, my favorite time to reference another actor who does this well is jake gyllenhaal in nightcrawler oh yeah where he is it's almost like it's just as scary to see him murder someone as it is to see him try to act like a normal human in front of others right <laughs> where yes. he, he's he's pulling it off but you can tell that something's not quite right it's like just stop it stop doing that yes <laughs> and i think no that's a great comparison i think yeah and, and christian bale pulls that off um amazingly so I, I found a quote from roger ebert who reviewed this film uh when it came out and he has this great quote that i think serves like really put into perspective how i felt about this he says christian bale is heroic in the way he allows the character to leap joyfully into despicability there is no instinct for self-preservation here and that is a mark of a good actor so um i think what this makes reminds me of is our conversation about hobbs and shaw uh one of our oscar episodes about how um the rock and jason statham are counting how many punches they take so they can dish out just as many out Christian Bale's not doing that here. You know, he's doing the opposite. He's fully immersing himself into Patrick Bateman and making him and trusting that, you know, people will realize that he's just playing a character and that he's really not like this. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unlike The Rock, I guess, would be. Right. The 
I, I think <laughs> can you imagine the rock so- doing his his um like calculus and playing patrick bateman but still coming out on top somehow yes like like ki- doing these killings but also like in the movie like donating a lot of money or something like trying to <laughs> trying to undo it at the same time right he like rescues an orphanage and stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh definitely wouldn't work at all but uh no but that's funny to think about <laughs> yeah but i think the thing the thing that i make that makes me really like christian bale is his ability to um totally camouflage himself into his characters yes no i agree you know with that. he doesn't i mean in this movie he looks just like he does in batman begins for, for example right he doesn't he's not wearing a mask he's not he doesn't have crazy makeup on i mean he probably is wearing makeup but you know he's not he's not wearing some crazy suit or even like really doing an accent or anything like that. He's he, but the way they act are, is completely different. And when I look at Christian Bale in this movie, at first you're like, Oh, it's Christian Bale. And then very, very quickly, he's Patrick Bateman and he's Patrick Bateman for the rest of the movie. Yeah. I compare him to someone who I also generally pretty like, which is Jared Leto, who Jared Leto is not playing a person in Patrick Bateman's, like firm, Pat, Jared Leto works at Patrick Bateman's firm. That's what I saw. You know, when I when he's on screen, yes. I'm like, that's Jared Leto, always Jared Leto, and he always is. And but <laughs> Christian Bale, it's not that way. It's, it's he in this movie, he's Patrick Bateman. In Reign of Fire, he's what's his name. And um, uh, <laughs> you know, Batman, Batman Begins, he's uh, Bruce Wayne. So it, it's incredible to see him just transition so easily into other characters and how you see almost unrecognizable. And I think it's just awesome. Um, one other thing I want to talk about, I, I, I do feel like it's important to talk about, not just say he's a great actor, but to explain why I feel that way. Um, his performance in this is so over the top at the same time, you know, he's acting like a person and it's very clear that he is. All of his lines are very rehearsed. The way he says them is very like articulate, as if he said them many times in the mirror. You know, it's. But going back to like how they need to have some sort of ba- like benchmark, right? But there's moments of when he experienced where he shows real emotion when he's looking at himself in the mirror while he's having sex with those girls, when he's crying and talking to the the lawyer on the phone. Both of those are kind like are not that subtle, but you can tell that he really feels something about that. Right. And that gives you a contrast to his like over the top un like ability to, or his over the top nature and his inability to act like a normal person that, and I think what also aids that is that other people in the movie don't act like him. Right. It's not like, although I, although I think the um, dialogue is kind of elevated, it definitely has some sort of flowery nature to it. Like film dialogue should, I think it's there's the other people in the movie, his friends, his girlfriend, the other, other women in the movie, they all talk like normal people. It's only him who has that weird, you know, energy to him. So just imagine that challenge presented to 26 year old Christian Bale, which is how old he was when he, when he played this role, like saying, all right, I want you to act like you're acting and no one else is going to. So I need you to pretend to be pretending, you know? I mean, that that level is just incredible. And the way he brings that to a head while also maintaining this composure when those things aren't necessary, right? When he's, you know, working out or when he's just looking at himself or when he's killing someone, right? Those moments are, are him experiencing real emotion, 
and you see that so clearly on his face. It's awesome. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And, and like like you said, there is kind of a flowery nature. It almost feels like this movie takes place in a like an alternate universe where uh, certain qualities of society are enhanced so that they're more visible mm-hmm. and the, everyone else seems to blend into this society that Patrick goes to extreme lengths to conform to, but it's always clear that he stands out. Even if the characters around him don't notice it to the viewer, it's very, very clear, um, which uh, makes it that much more surprising when his identity is constantly confused, right? Mm. Um, because that's a very important part of this movie. In fact, it's like the legs that the twist ending stands on is the constant <laughs> mis, uh, mistaken identity of our male characters, of our Paul Allens and our um, Patrick Bateman. And that... Um, I, I love it. It, it. it lasts throughout the movie. It's literally in the first scene that they think that they see Paul Allen at a different table. And then when they say, like, that's not him, that's him over there. And they point and it's just indistinct man. You know, yeah. like you don't even, <laughs> I looked back at him like, I'm not even sure that's him. Like they might <laughs> both be wrong in that situation. You couldn't afford Jared Leto for that shoot that day. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. Who are any of these dudes really? Uh, which is one of my yeah. favorite things about, um, like it, it, the I- irony of the position that they're all in because they're all so obsessed with status. They're all so obsessed with success, but the, none of them can distinguish themselves. They're all the same, even though they're all yes. pulling hard uh, in the same direction. I mean, look at the business card scene, right? I mean, the they, they point to the texture of the cards and everything and how they look, but if you look at the cards, every single one of them says the same thing, right? They all say vice, vice president. president yeah. You know, they all have the exact same role in this company, which who knows what it does, right? It doesn't even matter. Uh, but the, the point is made that they're all exactly equal, right? Right. And, well, I mean, <laughs> and the things that, just, that are different, I mean, eggshell and bone are the same color white, you know? like it, Subtle... Off, off white color yeah. <laughs> um which i just i just love that and and beyond that i just love the aesthetic of this movie i mean new york city is a classic movie setting and location and whatever um but i love the way because new york has a very like 90s new york feel on the outside but in the interior of most of these buildings are very different that's where it feels like you kind of exist in a different world like the Mm. clubs and especially the clubs are bizarre but also the the restaurants they go to are all so finely manicured and uniform and upscale and you know quote-unquote unique but because they're all like that they all kind of blend together when you try to it's like what was that place that they went to it's like they all kind of seem like the same place like they're obviously different but none of them stands out as better or worse or or like more important or or not the only restaurant that i can remember ever having some real oomph to it is dorzia because they always bring it up Oh, he's talking about how they can't get into Dorzia. But what's so special about Dorzia? Nothing. Right, exactly. It's just that people say that it's better. It's kind of like Paul Allen managing that big account, the Fisher account. Mm. They're they're all jealous of him, but that's the only thing apparently that distinguishes him. But none of no one can tell. Yeah, they all look the yeah. same. Like even their suits, they all look nice. Like it's what's interesting is how well this movie is able to kind of blend these men together. When if you look at them individually, it's it's surprising how much they blend together because they all don't look exactly the same. I mean, they're all white guys in suits, which you know is. Um, 
you know, similar enough, but they do, I don't know what it is, but they're able to make them all just look like the exact same guy. Um, even though they all have different names and different quote unquote lives, but, um, I, I, yeah, but they don't have different personalities and they're all basically a monolith to each other. Right. And, uh, okay. So here's my, I have a question for you about like, I don't actually know if I subscribe to this theory or not. I just think it's kind of fun to think about. Okay. Do you think it's possible that Patrick Bateman was a real person who was killed by Christian Bale and then was his life was taken over right he says Patrick Bateman doesn't really exist at the beginning which makes you think that his entire identity has been constructed but it's the way he easily like falls in line when someone mistakes his identity right he knows everything he needs to say he knows how to react to every situation right when someone says hey what's this like like he's you know, how's your wife or how's your fiance, right? All of them are engaged and cheating on each other, right? Yes. Like, it's not, <laughs> like, that's just the way it is. So when someone asks, how's your how's your fiance? He can just say how his fiance is because he, like everyone else, has a fiance. Yeah. I- so his, his ability to just kind of, you know, um, morph into any other person or to just, like, fall in line as any person that anyone else thinks he is makes me almost think that Patrick Bateman used to be a real person whose life has been taken over by this psychopath. I like that idea, and maybe it's possible, but I think that the whole reason that the movie takes place when it does is because of the mistaken identity that happens um, when Paul Allen mistakes him for Marcus Haverstrand. Like, that is such an important... um, mistake that and it sets everything else in motion especially because at the end he is surprised and uh bateman is surprised that his lawyer howard is not recognizing him so right i I see what you mean because he is quick on his feet when with his mistaken identity but i feel like that's mostly related to the paul allen murder like it's like a new development in his life um but Mm. i'm not saying it's impossibility it very easily could be the truth that he just killed this guy and assumed his life because in this world nobody can tell each other apart they're all the same people yes they're all exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) so okay let i think that brings us to like what exactly is is patrick bateman right he's he's clearly the epitome of a certain type of person Right. He's he is like the most blank. So what exactly is he? Well, I mean, he's literally a Wall Street yuppie. He's which is, you know, slang for a young professional. Um, And he's very obsessed with success, obsessed with wealth, Uh, materialist uh, or he is a materialist to an extent. He's very, um, you know, extension of status is kind of where you live. And he shows a lot of interest in uh, (laughs) comparing his uh, living space, his apartment to Paul Allen's because Paul Allen's is slightly nicer, which is such a frustrating thing to hear because first off, I like Bateman's apartment more than I like (laughs) Paul Allen's just the the interior decorating, but also because they're both living in New York city in huge apartments (laughs) by themselves. So it's like, what are you complaining about? (laughs) Always something to complain about. Always got to get to that next level. Yeah, you know? but I, okay, but but you asked me, uh, like that's what that's who he literally is, right? So what is he supposed to be then? You know, like, like what, what are we supposed to? If we're not supposed to be like Bateman, then what are we not supposed to be like? Right? Like who, 
who does he who does he describe? I guess what you said he's materialistic. I think that's kind of what I'm touching on. But I feel like there's other things in there too. Just like his value structure. You know, I, maybe yeah, maybe what you're saying about his uh, like his obsession with wealth or power. Well, I mean, he also represents the upper class. That's definitely something um, that this movie touches on is like classism because of the way that he treats people that he believes are lower than him. Right? Like, um, I mean, when he is just totally fine with screaming at the uh, foreigners who run the dry cleaner because he can't understand them. So it's their wrong. You know, he's allowed to be enraged with them uh, because why can't they speak the right language? You know? Um, And the same thing with uh, like the talking to hookers, basically it's like, I'm going to name you because I don't think of you as a person. (laughs) I'm going to give you a name. And that could also have to do um, with them being women, which we can get into. Um, But it also is just Bateman has money, so he's able to do all these things, like go to restaurants and get reservations and stuff. Like it's very much a um, this man is overflowing with privilege. I see. So okay, yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, one thing I don't know, like I I kind of have this idea. It's kind of a, a nice succinct way of putting it, but I don't know if I can follow through with it. But here's here's my attempt. Patrick Bateman is a person built backward. So normally. When you're a person, speaking from experience here, I am a person. Um, you <laughs> nice try, Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> you start with a set of values, right? Stuff that you believe in deep mm-hmm. down, and those can be anything, right? It could be something like I care about my family, or I want other people to like me, or power, or money, or something. So, and you from there you act and react to your environment in order to maximize those things, right? You want the more of that, the best of that, or whatever. And that drives you to a certain position in society and it, uh, and makes you into a kind of person in a way, right? And, you know, in America, so, you know, there's supposedly a lot of upward mobility or a lot of possibility for mobility. So you can kind of rise to a certain like opportunity if it presents yourself to you and you can become whatever you want to be so you're saying like i believe in the american dream so that that makes my behavior working hard because i believe that my beliefs cause me to work hard and i'll and i hope i'll go that direction it seems almost like like your values are so strong that it doesn't even matter if you're aware of them you'll just end up where you're supposed to end up based on the way that you the things that you value and all that but i think patrick bateman is the opposite he is a tryhard in the definitional term, meaning that he wants to replicate a certain type of be, of behavior uh, because it is shown to be successful without doing the work to become that thing. Right? He doesn't. He he doesn't operate on some sort of value system. All he the only value system he has is that he wants to fit in and that he cares about music, which is barely a value. <laughs> um, so he acts like all these other people because that's how they act but they act that way because that's the way they feel right and so in a way he's like the he's kind of he's totally backwards yeah i see that i definitely see that he's in a completely loveless relationship not because he gives a like he gives a rat's ass about this evelyn woman It's because he it, it almost and she almost sees it this way too is that it makes more sense for them to be in uh, engaged than it does for them to be broken up. <laughs> yes, in a way it does. And like that's like her role and his role. His role is to be 
engaged and her role is to be engaged to some guy on wall street right like it's that's how it's supposed to be and i guess that kind of leads me to my next question which is like where does this start is patrick bateman like what came first uh the job or the psychoness right <laughs> it seems like in the middle there there's a quote that kind of uh gives the impression that his job is making his like killer instinct and for lack of a better word um more fine-tuned it's like it's making him more and more out of control but was did he start off as a normal person and then this job made him into a psycho or did was he always a psycho and this job just happens to be the place that psychos end up yeah <laughs> you know what i mean uh -huh. like he just he just ends up there because the things that he finds important are the same things that these other people around him find important and they all kind of come together and it's almost a perfect place for him to end up because they can't sniff him out they think he's weird but they don't know that he's like a literal sociopath right his his lack of empathy his you know um adherence to certain rules and his like obsessive nature just makes him another one of them it doesn't make him uh, so weird that he needs to be an outcast where, where it would in other in other professions or other groups yeah, it's why the society he exists within is horrifying um, beyond just the fact that he exists within it, is that everyone right. else seems to be so okay with his existence within it. They, He's so clearly not like them, but they still see him as one of them um, because yes. he in their eyes maybe only takes it like one step too far. Like it's, it's like, ah, well we all pretty much do it and he's just the one he's openly murdering people but that's only like a little bit worse than like the re what the rest of we do we don't really yeah. care about that what matters to us is that we got the reservations and that we have our high like status uh uh apartment and a job and fiance like those are the things that are of actual substance and importance if you yes. want to kill a hooker uh, who cares <laughs> right water under the bridge honestly sure Sure. And I think that is, I mean, we're putting it so starkly. I don't think they would ever say that. Right. But, um, I that's mean, just, the implication here. Yeah. I mean, we'll just look at Evelyn's reaction to the confession from, um, Bateman when he says he starts off with, I'm like, I have a compulsion for homicide essentially. <laughs> and she just kind of glances it off. And it's one of those things where you're not sure if she really even heard him. It's kind of, it's, it's definitely more uh, uh, audible or clearer than earlier in the movie when he tells that model that he's into murders and executions. And she thinks that he said mergers and acquisitions. Um, so it's hard to tell, like completely fault her, but then you hear the way that she reacts when he really ends their engagement and she just totally loses it and starts like you know making a scene it's like wow where was that <laughs> when i said i was killing people <laughs> right well yeah i i don't know what to take from that right like i don't know if he actually ever even said that out loud or if he only thought he did and he said something else or if she didn't hear him or just just ignoring him you know it's really unclear every time he makes that kind of like any time he does anything murdery at all, whether that's admitting to something or anything, whether that's actually in his head or if it's actually happening. Right. And I, and I, I mean, that's part of the movie's vagary um, and it adds to the confusion, but okay. One of the things that I think is so important or so powerful about Patrick Bateman as a character is that he taints everything he touches, you know, anything that he is a part of suddenly becomes part of this like psycho world, Right. 
being on Wall Street, for example, is like it's full of psychos. Uh, going to Harvard, it's like oh, the people that graduate from business like Harvard Business School. This is the kind of person that graduates from Harvard Business School. That's definitely right? what I thought when he said that. You know, <laughs> it, it, all it, going to the fancy restaurants, the whole lifestyle, right? It, it becomes this thing. It's like oh, like if you have any um, similarities to him, right? It suddenly becomes like. What's wrong with me? <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Why am I at all like him? It, Even though he's he presents himself as being a normal person, right? He's trying so hard to be a normal person, but the just the fact of him doing that is so uncanny that it makes it all feel so uncomfortable. You don't even want to be close to it. I, I, so I think like I think the the most powerful thing and like that you could say about him as a character, and I think the, probably the greatest compliment you could give to any sort of work of fiction is to use it as an ex as an example for other things you know how like catch 22 exists outside of its own novel yes i feel like you could use bateman or bateman-esque as an adjective to describe certain types of behavior and i think that's a great testament to the original writer of this story but also patrick uh, christian bale for bringing it to life so he so wonderfully no definitely i was actually at, like between watching this movie and then recording this podcast i was um on xbox talking to one of my friends and a couple of my friends and one of them he works in this high-powered high-paying job and he was talking about how he works with some really intelligent well-informed people and how he thinks is really cool like they they wear suits and they talk about the stock market and mergers and acquisitions and i was like oh my gosh dude you're sounding like patrick bateman right now you're you're, you're on some american psycho shit and then my other friend was like no dude that would be business cards and i'm like okay it's been too long since you've seen it because he's clearly literally being Patrick Bateman and here's the thing like you can have your opinions on the stock market and all that stuff but like there's nothing inherently heinous about my friend being fascinated with the way that money moves in our American economy but right fresh off of seeing this movie I was like oh my gosh my friend is literally an American psycho <laughs> <laughs> Um, it uh, did so definitely, I'm just picturing it, you in your gaming chair with your Xbox controller and it's just like your mouth isn't moving but there's a voiceover you know oh my god I'm looking at his gamer card it's off gray like <laughs> wait, wait, he's got extra prestige tokens or whatever yeah. or you see him on the game and he's got some extra suit and you're like oh, I wish I had that yeah. oh man the Fortnite like Easter bunny skin yes <laughs> look at that somebody more kills <laughs> I stay up late to get that tonight look at that subtle DLC <laughs> 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 oh man it's so um funny. no but you're right dude it definitely they're they're painting a uh or they're, they're they're putting a certain light over this part of american society and obviously they don't want it to look good so okay well, you just said american what about patrick bateman is explicitly american why is he an american psycho and not just a wall street psycho or or something else well, I mean, isn't Wall Street inherently American? I guess so. But I mean, I mean, there are certain true. things that you could just say. Uh, um, may, I mean, obvious things that make you assume he's American. First off, the American accent. Speaking English, he's white. Um, I mean, a lot of the things that it, the society he exists within reflects American society. And it's also really hard to detach being from New York uh, from being American. Mm. Um he is kind of a member of like the royalty in a way, you know, we don't really have like an official designation for, you know, people who have like nobility in this country, but we certainly have like a certain, there's a certain status that celebrities or like the very wealthy 
enjoy, right? Which is similar to like a, like a lordship or something. Oh, sure. I mean, we definitely have um, a class structure here in United States. It's not as explicit as some other countries, but he's definitely an upper class citizen. And there are certain things that matter to him and don't matter to him because of that. Um, I right. mean, look no further than the way he treats the homeless guy. I mean, my <laughs> God, well, he freaking murders him. The way he treats him. <laughs> no, I mean, he. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and kills his dog. Yeah, the witch dude. Oh man, um, that's the line, right? Yes. No, John Wick. Uh, that was what somebody called. Get John Wick on the phone. Seriously, yeah. dude. Um, John Wick versus like John Wick Five. John Wick versus Patrick Bateman. <laughs> that would be over so quick, though. John Wick takes New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Well, just specifically on killing the the homeless guy, like that is almost like that's just a hyperbolic of you know what you could argue is a a valid criticism of how the treat or how the rich treat poor people like he sure like rich people aren't going into alleys and shanking poor people but you could yeah, argue but they might be saying the same things that he says right before he does right? that's definitely true where they're blaming this guy he's like why don't you just get a job why don't you just climb in a can in a job cannon and shoot yourself over to job land where jobs <laughs> grow on job trees you know he um <laughs> he just needs to pull like the classic I, I actually i don't want to invoke the bootstraps because there's too much that conversation is too toxic but he just tells him just stop being so lazy it's your own fault that you're in this situation stop being poor yes obviously. exactly stop being poor have you ever thought about just not being poor um have you thought about not living in an alley um and and, and like you, you reek. Have you ever smelled yourself? Like th- these, there's so. I mean, everything he says is so tone deaf, and it's just such a hyperbolic criticism of like the upper class's relationship with the lower class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think, which is this whole movie. This whole movie is, you know, a it's an extension or an exaggeration of what people really are like, right? And to and puts a allows you to put your finger directly on that. Well, it's um, yeah, and. It's an important part of who he is, is his his existence outside of like the normal reality and inside of this really um, I don't know, upper crust situation. That's upper going crust. On. <laughs> All right. You got anything else? Um, actually, I think we've touched on everything I want to touch on in this section. So I think we're ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. Okay. Which is actually fitting um, because we, Easter was not that long ago, so... Oh. Cool Easter eggs to celebrate the fact that Easter was recent and not definitely not just a normal segment on every definitely single Definitely not episode. something that we do every episode. No, definitely not. All right. So since it's such a special occasion, why don't you go first, Joey? Oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> because, oh, on this special edition of the Cool Easter eggs? That's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, uh, I don't even know what to say. Um, so I was Googling around about this movie, and I found this thing that said it was an article from Mental Floss. Here, I think I still have it up. No, I don't. Um, it was like uh, five Yelp places with Yelp reviews that you definitely wouldn't want to visit. And one of them is Dorzia. So uh, Dorzia is not a real restaurant, but it does have a real Yelp page and it does have real reviews from real people. And the reviews are great. I'm going to read you a couple. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, all the people saying no one get, goes here anymore are just upset they couldn't get a reservation. Just make sure you call early and tip the doorman. 
No, no, that's uh, next one is, Bateman says that when they're yeah, at that, know, like, that like seafood yeah, restaurant. No one goes there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Don't believe the hype that no one goes here anymore. I was able to swing an 8.30 rest on Friday night. <laughs> I was on the verge of tears when they arrived since I was positive we wouldn't have a decent table. But we did, and the relief washed over me in an awesome way. Oh, my god. This gosh. place lives up to it. Great sea urchin. Chevetch? Chevetch? <laughs> Ceviche. This, that was five stars. This one was only one star. I called the restaurant up to see if they could make a last-minute reservation. I know it was a little late, but I asked it. I asked if it was possible to reserve a table for two at eight or eight thirty, perhaps. What happened next was unbelievable. The man just started laughing at me maniacally. How rude! I just wanted to fit in. <laughs> ended up going. <laughs> ended up going to Bark. Uh, bar, what's it? Barcadia. 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 I think. Anyway, um, there's a whole bunch of them in here. You should definitely check it out. We'll link to it in the, in the, in the description. Yeah, dude, that's hilarious. Yeah. I love things like that that like stand the test of time on the internet. You know, um, <laughs> Yelp yes. review doors. There's yeah. so many. There's so many of these. They're so long too. Yeah, those are the best ones. I love that. Well, my cool Easter egg is pretty noticeable, but I just feel like it's worth bringing up because of the fact that it's. 2020 um the donald trump references in this movie are hilarious like of course bateman idolizes donald trump okay and i'll just leave it at that i'll just say of course <laughs> he wants to be or he wants to be like donald trump wait wait was that donald trump's car yeah it's like is that uh ivana trump over there like oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny um i know there was two i the first time i was like wait did he just say trump you know, like my, my my ears are just like fine tuned to that word. So when he's like, when he, he kind of mumbles it almost, it's almost it's hard to hear. But I I was like, no no no, go back, <laughs> double tap on my uh, my screen to go back ten seconds, turn up the volume. Is that Donald Trump's car? I'm like, oh, yes, it was Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I actually um, I just as Donald Trump's car was passing by, uh, slowly, like I slowly, I almost missed. The Donald Trump reference in this movie. <laughs> I actually went back and turned on subtitles just to be sure. Um, but I, uh, yeah, it's hilarious. Like if, if I was good at art, I would definitely make a Donald Trump American psycho, um, like fan <laughs> art. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is there's that part where he's wearing the mask and he's using the ATM with gloves. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to make like a PSA for coronavirus and be like, be like Patrick Bateman, wear your mask and gloves when you're out in public. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me, there's another like potential meme, like coronavirus meme in this where he goes to choke out, um, oh, what's his name? Um, he's the doofus. Uh, the, the gay guy. Yeah. yeah uh, what is his name though? He has a great name. Um, Lewis Carruthers is his name. I love that last name, Carruthers. And uh, he goes to choke him, but doesn't. And then once Lewis admits that he's got um, homosexual feelings for him, uh, Patrick is disgusted, which, you know, classic American. Uh, and then he, tur <laughs> he turns around and runs to the sink and starts washing his hands. And he's still wearing gloves. So, he's washing his gloves. Yeah, well, so like, <laughs> I'm, I, I immediately I was like, oh, man, there's real meme potential here where it's like me during coronavirus and like <laughs> washing <laughs> your hands funny. with gloves on. Um, which brings me to my next uh, Easter egg, which is there are a lot of meme references from this movie uh, you got some uh deja meme in here so much De meme i mean one of, one of my favorites ever and it's actually a pretty good example of 
the way that Patrick Bateman pretends to be a human. There are some times where he nods his head in a very, it's so intentional, it's unnatural. Um, one of <laughs> one of those is when they're at that restaurant, the like seafood gumbo restaurant that's like empty, and uh, Paul Allen is basically roasting Patrick Bateman because he thinks he's talking to um, Marcus Haverstrand. And... Uh, Bateman does like a like he like purses his lips and he goes like a, almost like he's going like ooh you know like ooh and then like nods with like his eyes kind of closed I've seen that in so many back when the MLG memes were big that was in so many things where like you get a 360 like no scope and then that would that a <laughs> gif of Patrick Bateman would just pop up and you'd be like ooh yeah like nodding in approval of like whatever <laughs> just so happened um, and the same thing for the like flicking of like the toothpick or whatever at the very beginning of the movie um also, the image of him looking at himself while he's having sex um, is very popular. I've seen it where they've um, <laughs> like a Photoshop where like the first image is like uh, Tony Hawk's pro skater and he's like doing a big combo. And the next image is Patrick Bateman like while he's having sex, but they Photoshopped him holding a controller. So he's like <laughs> having sex. He's just like he's like playing. He's just like he's like oh, having so sex, but he's more <laughs> obsessed with like doing a really neat grind on Tony Hawk. He's just got this ex- expression of just like pure joy that he's looking at like looking at him well, it's, yeah. it's not ne- I'm so awesome it's like self-indulgent joy like yeah, it's very yeah, vain yeah, yeah. he's he's it's the same level of vanity of like watching yourself have sex in the mirror and looking at yourself um as <laughs> he has that same level of like self-indulgence watching himself do something epic on Tony Hawk <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so there was there was so much of that in this movie which uh which is fantastic that's one of my favorite things about returning to classic films like this because um, at this point, there's almost definitely a meme you've seen that has uh, been birthed um, from the movie itself. So let's move on beyond that. That ends our special uh, segment. Very special. Once in a lifetime. You're going to miss it next time. Right. If you cool Easter eggs. The fact that you were here listening to it means you're a very special, affable chat listener. Um, but now we're going to move on to talk about songs. And I, I was so tempted. I mean, when I was watching this movie... One of my favorite, or some of my favorite scenes, are the music breakdowns, the the uh, oh, music yeah, yeah, yeah. review, um, and it's like uh, <laughs> a very fake news fact about this movie uh, would be that they didn't have to pay to use any of the uh, to use "Hip to Be Square" or "Greatest Love" by uh, of all by Whitney Houston or "Susudio" by Phil Collins because uh, he provides transformative criticism within the movie. Oh my So he doesn't God. have to claim copyright. <laughs> it's all, it's very, it's transformative. It's fair use. And that totally would fly in a court of law. Um, definitely. definitely. Quintessential <laughs> criticism. That's right. But uh, jokes aside, it actually is kind of, uh, it's interesting the way that he actually criticizes the music. Um, and you get to hear these great songs as well. Like it's just a great combination that always leads to these horrific, memorable scenes. Yeah, and they're I mean, they're it's actually really interesting to listen to what he says about it. You know, it's more than just like, oh, I like this song. He's like talks about the history of it and all the different albums, and he like clearly has a bunch of knowledge about it. It seems like the only time that he's really like indulging in something that he actually enjoys, you know? And he actually seems like a real interesting person is when he has something to say about music. But even those moments are so rehearsed, right? It's almost like he's given this speech hundreds of times before and he's like expecting a certain response and everything, even though nobody's really listening. Um, and then he also uses it 
to kill people. Yes. Well, and yeah, which makes him a very unique murderer, like uh, uh, hmm. in the, in that sense. But also, I mean, specifically, "Hip to Be Square," which I think is probably the most memorable of the like song uh, breakdown slash murders because it's the one where he kills Paul Allen. Uh, but he talks about how the song glorifies conformity, which for me is such an interesting topic to... Yeah, way to bring that back. Yes. Good, it, good, me- and I mean, good motif. It is, and it's it, it's throughout this film. So I, it's so fitting. It, it's just, it's perfect. Um, and going back to how I started this off, I was so tempted to be like, this is the whole review. We just have to break down his music reviews and listen to them <laughs> in their entirety, and that'll be the podcast. But um, I... I Unlike his criticism, I don't know if ours just saying how great it is would be transformative. So um, if you want to hear this again, obviously just watch the movie again. Um, It's well worth uh, your time to at least check out these scenes again. Um, But also, I'm really glad he... uh, I mean, I love these artists as well. So that is what's not to love about um, the the songs from this movie. Yeah, it just gives you a new appreciation for great songs too. Definitely. Um, All right. So we're not going to listen to those songs, but we are going to listen to some quotes from the movie. Um, and I have the first one. We have a quote. God, I hate this place. The Chick's Restaurant. Why aren't we doors yet? Because Bateman won't give the maitre d' head. <laughs> if you'd like to take a minute, I'll be right back. The, I sat down to watch this movie, and I knew it was good because I've seen it before. But this is the first time I'd really paid attention to what they say at this point. And I just paused it. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, man, I can't believe this is the first thing that happens. The first scene that you see Bateman, the first thing that he does, he doesn't say anything. He, the, the first thing that it's the other guys are with him. One of them mentions a woman's head. And then Bateman takes a violent action by throwing something at his, at his little friend there. So we, it, it basically subtly sets the stage for who Bateman is. Somebody who like is involved with women's head in some way. Um, and also <laughs> violence. Uh, which are two things. Mm. I mean, maybe I'm like trying to encapsulate too much in a small scene, but honestly, I was like, having seen the movie before, I was like, oh my gosh, they're dangling it right in front of us. Yeah, well, his reaction is very much, I mean, it is just like every other reaction he has with his friends, which is that he's uh, he's very calculated. You know, he's laughing at the perfect moment because he's recognizing it as a joke, but he's also a little bit offended by that joke because he's so homophobic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so he's... um, but yeah, I, I just thought that was a great way to start it off because it's not the words, it's his actions um, that make that define Bateman um, throughout this film. Yes. All right, I got two quotes. Back to back. Ready? There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. Some kind of abstraction. But there is no real me. Only an entity. Something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze... And you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable. I simply am not there. I have all the characteristics of a human being. Flesh, blood, skin, hair. But not a single clear, identifiable emotion, except for greed and disgust. Something horrible is happening inside of me, and I don't know why. My nightly bloodlust has overflowed into my days. I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. What I think is cool about this is it shows how Bateman views himself. These are kind of some of the monologues that uh, I mentioned earlier in this podcast. 
He truly is just a shell of a person, right? He's not, he doesn't even think of himself as a real human being as much as he is just the idea of a person. Like a, like he's like a collection of like things uh, that's assembled into a shape of a person more so than he is like a real human. And I mean, I think that's kind of true. By the end of this movie, I feel like you almost know less about him than when you start. So the fact that like he he is just this shell, like that and you, you can penetrate it and find nothing. Um, I mean, it's clear from the very beginning. It's it's a really I mean a really powerful quotes and they're really, really well written. You know, I was thinking about um Dark Knight Rises and how we had that interesting quote from Gary Oldman where he's talking about structures and stuff and how it sounded really cool, but then when we wrote it out and listened to it again, it's like very like it's very vague and like it jumps around and it's all these mixed metaphors. I, you don't feel that with this movie. This movie is very well written. And, and these, these quotes here just really draw, draw you into Bateman and it almost endears you to him just because he's so well-spoken. Yeah. And, and it's also part of this um, almost guilty pleasure for Bateman that murder is, it's not that he's, um, I mean, he's definitely complacent in his own actions. I mean, he, his life revolves around his the getting to his next kill. Um, but he also still recognizes what's going on here. His how his like what he's doing is uh, disgusting and heinous. Um, but it doesn't stop him from indulging. It's similar to other like. I mean, this movie's uh, opening number with the credits and stuff is very similar to Dexter's, where it looks like he's going to do something violent, but he's actually just preparing food. Um, this he kind of resembles that in a way as well because he uh his like compulsion to kill is something he can't control and he like recognizes that and it's just something that he does right it's not something that it's it's part of the way he's wired is that he has to kill people it's it's less than like oh i get so much joy out of it as much as it is like this compulsion yes an addiction right and so he he builds his whole life to help hide that which is his mask of sanity that he references um well, what, I was going to, it, it reminds me a lot of somebody who potentially has like a, a eating disorder, somebody who um, indulges in eating junk food too much uh, because they, they're not proud of it, but it's like something they do in secret. And sometimes there's evidence that's left behind and it's like really embarrassing. You don't want anybody to know, or like you have to hide it really quick. It's like, Oh, I left that candy wrapper out or, you know, um, and he even talks about it in, uh, in the sense of eating when he refers to the, uh, I think it was ice cream that he had in his freezer that he offers to Gene where, um, he's like, I'm on a diet, you know, it's like, I'm not very good at self-control and she thinks he's talking mm-hmm. about food, but he's actually talking about murdering, you know, women. um and uh i i i you know it's an interesting way to treat it where it's it's not necessarily some i mean he definitely enjoys it but it's not necessarily something that he does purely out of the enjoyment it's out of the compulsion and the addiction um as well yes it's his repulsion of himself that kind of drives his actions in the story okay i got another quote he's over there come on bryce there are a lot more important problems than sri lanka to worry about like what well we have to end apartheid for one and slow down the nuclear arms race stop terrorism and world hunger we have to provide food and shelter for the homeless and oppose racial discrimination and promote civil rights while also promoting equal rights for women we have to encourage a return to traditional moral values most importantly we have to promote general social concern and less materialism in young people. <laughs> Patrick, 
How thought-provoking. My, my, my obvious question is, like, is this supposed to be a joke? Like, the movie has comedy elements to it. It's definitely parts that are genuinely funny. Um, but is is does Bateman intend this for this to be a joke? Because his friends seem to think it's a joke, right? His their sarcastic uh, reply from what's his name? Like, uh, what what is his oh, name? Oh, the uh, his only interesting friend. Yes, Timothy uh, Bryce. Timothy Bryce. No, the Carruthers. Carruthers. Oh, wait, I, he's being sincere when he says that it's. I don't think he is. He says. How thought-provoking. I don't know. He's it almost too, seems he's like totally being sincere. Because first off, he's a buffoon. And second off, he's in love with Bateman. So he okay. he definitely is being sincere, which makes sense because he's such a buffoon. He he see he gets fooled by this obvious virtual virtue signaling from uh, right. Patrick Bateman. In fact, it's a little known fact about this movie. Patrick Bateman was actually verified on Twitter after he said this uh, because he was virtue signaling so well. Because he because he was so freaking woke. Is That's right. Saying. And they were like, "Good." Because what what he's pointing out here, it's such a stark uh, <laughs> contrast is that his words mean nothing. His actions are what matter. Bateman can say whatever he wants. He's got all the right answers. But it's so... Yes, he does. It is so meaningless without action. It's actions. empty. It's like completely empty. You're right. And, I mean, this is a classic, like, what, what aboutism, right? And it's what makes it so brilliant is that it's contrasted with itself over and over again. He just keeps moving from topic to topic to topic, right? There's, like, examples of things, of problems, basically. It's like, here, I have a list of problems. Let's just list them. And... Because be, only because they're listed in a list do you recognize them all as meaningless. They all like start watering each other down until the, whatever topic they were talking about is washed away. It's I mean it's pretty incredible. Um, but I don't know. Like I, his friends seem to react to it as if it's a joke, right? Because they I guess because they know him well enough to know that he doesn't care about anything. So him saying this is not a thing. But then I'm contrasted that with like. Uh, Reagan and the TV at the end, right? And when I first heard this part, I was like, he sounds just like a politician. And it's verified when I hear Reagan at the yes. end. When the, Reagan is talking in a certain way, trying to get to a certain point, he doesn't say the same words, but it's almost in that same cadence, right? Of like a practice speech of like, ah, you know, just listen to me. It's going to be okay. I know all the problems. Here, here's a list. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it is. It's, it's very much political, like double uh, speak, where you, right. you can just you can't disagree with any of these things you know it's like no i i actually am pro nuclear war it's like okay dude like all these things equal rights for women Psh, come well, on uh, we'll get to that but <laughs> all these things that he's saying it's the right answers it's the practiced answers it's the it's the cloud the crowd pleasers and yeah but i think what's important to you know note again is without actions behind them it's completely meaningless and, and i think it's important that you connect this to reagan and i think just politicians in general because it's this is always um you know politicians are always doing this kind of thing where you're just saying a bunch of things because you know that's what the people want to hear um, but you have to remember that without following up with that and doing something and actually acting on what you say you care about it means nothing well that's the thing though is that you don't actually have to that's the that's like the whole thing right. saying it, it is the is enough this i mean this was very like this the speech that he gives here is very political and then when, at the end when bryce is analyzing reagan and saying how is he such a good liar right it seems like 
the natural next step for these guys is to go into politics, oh, right? Yeah, and, definitely. and I think that's the, the, the drive that they're trying to, that's the thing they're trying to say here. And the kind of the thing I wish they had dived into a little bit more. If they had more time, perhaps you would have seen Patrick Bateman on Capitol Hill, right? And how interesting would that be? You know, he would be in another environment in which people can't recognize him as any different than they are. Isn't, so, that, called, isn't that movie called Vice? <laughs> ah, hey, there you go. <laughs> Another I didn't even remember he was in that because he looks just like Dick Cheney. He does. He <laughs> does. Um, but no, you're right. That would be interesting to see like American Psycho 2, like American White Psycho. House Down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah, I just, I just think this, this whole thing is so interesting. And it, I mean, it's just a testament to the writing of this movie, but also just like, when you when you find yourself in a situation like this, when someone is making these kind of statement, like what is, is that Bateman ask? Is he? Are you just deflecting and virtue signaling to get people to agree with you? I mean, his fiance Evelyn is nodding to uh, nodding along when he says equal rights for women. It's like yeah, that's something I care about. But he like, didn't you listen to any of the rest of this? Like he he doesn't actually care about any of it. He's just saying it to say it. Well, and I think the the conversation began with asking about a certain borough of New York becoming too commercial, right? Something like that, yeah. And even though they don't care, like that's the whole thing. He's like, I don't care. Uh, he's like, what about Sri Lanka? It's it's just a deflection. It's like anytime someone brings up something of substance, you can be like, it, like you said, what aboutisms? Just redirect to, oh, there's all these other problems. So trust me, just because I'm not working towards that particular thing doesn't mean I'm not a good person. I've got mm. these big unsolvable things that I'm more concerned with, so I'm still a good person. It's just, it's virtue signaling. Yes, it is. Um, all right, I've got the the next quote. If they have a good personality and they're not great looking, then who fucking cares? Well, let's just say hypothetically, okay? What if they have a good personality? <laughs> I know, I know. There are no, no girls, girls with, with good, good personalities. personalities. <laughs> good personality consists of a chick with a little hard body who will satisfy all sexual demands without being too slutty about things and who will essentially keep her dumb fucking mouth shut. The only girls with good personalities who are smart or maybe funny or halfway intelligent or talented, though God knows what the fuck that means, are ugly chicks. Absolutely. And this is because they have to make up for how fucking unattractive they are. Do you know what Ed Gein said about women? Ed Gein, maitre d' at Canal Bar? No. Serial killer, Wisconsin in the 50s. What did Ed say? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out and talk to her, be real nice and sweet and treat her right. And what the other part of him think? <laughs> what her head would look like on a stick. <laughs> okay, so this is like 4chan uh just on like spoken, spoken by three men in suits i mean the three-way high five after they say <laughs> in so unison cheesy. that there are no girls with good personalities like oh my god jesus like <laughs> this is these guys are acting the way that like you know, internet feminazis say that all men act, you know, like they're, again, it's this hyperbolic, um, extrapolation of like some real things that, uh, you know, people some, do say yeah. and really do think. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and it's important to distinguish in this film, the difference in the kills that Bateman, uh, commits or the murders, because he kills men and women for very different reasons. He kills men like Paul Allen, because they do something to make him angry. Same mm -hmm. thing with Lewis Carruthers. He tries to kill him because he showed him his business card <laughs> and like ruined <laughs> his day. Um, 
but he ruined no, my day too. He wasn't necessarily planning. He wasn't going to like lure those guys in and kill them for the same reasons that he does for women. He kills women because he hates women. They didn't necessarily do anything. They're just, they are women. And there's nothing extra scary about that because it's somewhat based in reality, you know? Yes, for this whole movie is. Like, exactly. And, like, I mean, in real life, men do the majority of the killing. I mean, men also kill other men, but they also kill a lot of women. Um, Speaking of, like, disgraced men, remember that Louis C.K. joke where he talks about how, like, the, like, uh, the most common, like, reasons for death among men and women? It's like uh, men's uh, most common like cause of death is like heart disease. For women, it's men. <laughs> and he's like has this thing where he's like in the car, and she's like, he's like, you pick up a woman, and then she gets in the car, and she says, "Where are we going tonight?" And he and he says, "To your death, t- statistically." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, um, am I canceled for laughing at a Louis C.K. joke? Um, but no, no, it, and it's. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it fits very well with the rest of this movie kept being somewhat based in reality um, and kind of, yeah, it, it is just really frustrating because as stupid as it is to say this stuff in three-way high five, like it almost sticks out of this movie as silly because it's like, okay, they're going, f- they wouldn't really say this, but there are people who really say stuff like this. Yes, and really do believe it like, or, or won't say it out loud, but do think it. Right, and... Um, I mean, anytime you generalize an entire gender, you're messing up. Um, but there are a lot of times where I've been, you know, in foreign countries or in a city late at night. And I'm like, thank God there's like statistically less people with a compulsion to just come and like rape me and murder me right now just for doing nothing. Because yes. that is definitely a greater possibility if you're like an attractive young woman. woman. And so I got, a, I got an interesting perspective on this. Okay. Um, while I was looking up that, that uh, quote from Roger Ebert, um, I read the entire review, and he talks a lot about how uh, because this movie was made by a woman, Mary Heron, um, it has a sort of female gaze. And one of the things that she really stresses, uh, more so than I, I guess in the book, because again, I haven't read it, is that um, is Bateman's treatment of women and how it is typical of men. Right. This scene specifically really shows that in a in a in a in an interesting way, um, and and her like kind of acknowledgement, but also like uh, I guess like her um, I don't want to what to say like she really wants to focus on how women are treated in this movie, and there are lots of women in this movie um, like more so than lots of other ones, even though a lot of them are are meant to be potential victims, and she always shows them with like a certain light of like, you know, they're deserving of dignity, but they feel like they're trapped in this situation that Bateman put them in. And there's so many times when, you know, women feel similar to how Bateman traps them without it ever coming to that level of violence. Right. And like the fact that like that, uh, that woman, Christy or whatever her name is, she Which gets one? back in the car. The what the first hooker that he picks up. Oh right, right. And she gets back into the car after she after she had to like go to the hospital because of the way she he treated her. Like people returning to that sort of situation is like, can you really blame her for that? Like this is her job. Like this is what this is the 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 risk of the situation that she puts herself in. Right. Like like yeah. is it, whose fault is this really? It's obviously Bateman's for being such a piece of crap. So why is so why is that focus not so much on that? I guess it's an interesting, I don't know. It's an interesting perspective for 
this movie to take to to really take the women's side um, when it's really kind of a, a aggrandizing or really focused on Bateman, um, but to show you know show that perspective as well. Oh, it's I think a, that it's a huge part yeah. of his personality, man. Like he right. hates women so much, but he does so much to be surrounded by them um, in like a. Uh, like he has a, uh, a fiance, he has a mistress, uh, he's hiring hookers, he's watching porn very casually, you know, and, and the porn that he was watching was very like female centric, I guess. Like you could two, see very clearly two naked women on t- like on top of a guy. The guy's like almost not there. I can't even tell if it's a guy. They were just two <laughs> women sitting on somebody and it's you know it's this dichotomy um where he like hates women or this paradox where he like hates women but also like wants them so badly um yes to the point where he wants to kill them and play with their blood um and it's and i and i feel like that is it's so it's that's the scary thing is it's like oh my gosh there's so there's there guys that are like this like they're not hopefully they're not all going out and doing these murders so much but like there are guys who have these who who do legitimately think it's like the ideal woman is someone who's like very fit who will do all the all do will satisfy all my sexual demands but will not do anything else like she could stay out of my way when i'm not horny and that's the idea. And it's like, dude, that is like to spell it out like that. And also like saying that like I, I've actually heard it said a different way about like the attractiveness where it's like um, if you're an ugly woman, you might as well be a man. You know, you might as well act right. like a man because like that's the way that you're viewed by society. Um, and it's yeah, I don't know. I just feel like this exchange is so uh, it brings so much to a point in that of the way women are treated in real life. And but also in this movie. <laughs> oh god what it's a fucking milligram of sweetener i want to get high off this baby not sprinkle it on my fucking oatmeal it's definitely weak but i have a feeling if we do enough of it we'll be okay could you keep it down i'm trying to do drugs i love this quote so much it's so funny in the bathroom like, what kind of drugs right i just like it's like it's almost like a uh, can I buy one uh, marijuana, please? Right. Like it, it's How many like pots. A, can I get from you? Can I get a pots? Can I get for ten dollars? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just I think this is so funny, especially since they're doing drugs next to him, you know, in the other stall. Um, yeah, it's not and, even good drugs. He's yeah. like it's like a pack of, a pack of sugar or something, or like that you need silence to do drugs. I guess like. It requires a lot of concentration. It's, I don't know. It's it was, it, yeah, it also is hilarious because they're in this assembly line for drugs. Like they're just, not yes. even assembly, but like they're just all processing into the bathroom so they can do drugs. That's the only reason they're in there. Not just our characters, but everyone. It's, yeah. Uh, and again, it, the the drugs are similar in in that they almost seem for the characters in this movie they almost seem like a compulsion as opposed to something that they enjoy. Where it's like. Hey, I like this bathroom is not a good bathroom to do coke in. Like that's a problem. Where instead of being like, I would love to do some coke right now, that'd be great. Where it's like, guys, I can't do coke. We have to go somewhere else. Like Yes. Not <laughs> scratches are off the list. Right. You'd have a coke coke friendly bathroom. Exactly. Well, maybe you can make a, an argument that uh, you know, Bateman doesn't seem to care as much about the imitation drugs and maybe just the the act of it or the appearance of doing it is enough for him uh, more so than the actual act of doing drugs. He doesn't oh, yeah. actually have, a, doesn't have a, a desire to do it. He's just doing it because it's part of his role that he's adopted. He's a conformist. He's doing yeah. it because everyone else is doing it. All right, I got the next one. 
Did you know that uh, Ted Bundy's first dog, a collie, was named Lassie? Did <laughs> you heard this? I think this is so cool. Um, the the other instance of this is the quote that you just uh, yeah, you just did with um, uh, what's his name, Ed Gein. Yeah. Um, so he he says like he thinks it's so funny that Ted Bundy named his collie Lassie because that's like the obvious name. And I think the reason he thinks that's funny is because he recognizes Ted Bundy as someone who is trying to fit in. And named his his collie the name that you name all like everyone names their collie right, but to Bateman that was a step too far and like maybe that's even a clue, in a way right like maybe he should have maybe people should have picked up on the fact that his dog was named a generic dog name, and that would have been like oh he's a murderer right because that's the way he acts, he's like I'm gonna do all the things that everyone else does right I'm gonna be the ex the the epitome or like the the uh, like. You know, the overlapping part of the Venn diagram that uh, the, of everyone else, and I'm going to be exactly like that, right? And so everything that I do is just like everyone else. Um, so any aspect of that is an indication of my true nature. Uh, I, like, it's funny that like he thinks that this is he thinks that this is hysterical, and I think the reason is because he thinks that Ted Bundy is just like him. He says he has a self fascination oh, yeah. with those. Serial killers. Definitely. Killers. He he loves his serial killers. I mean, just quickly jumping back to the Ed Heen thing, like he brings up Ed Heen. They're like, oh, the, this guy we know uh, is a maitre d' at this, at this club. Um, no, this murderer in Wisconsin. So what did this Ed Heen have to say? Like they just totally glance over the fact this guy's a heinous killer and they're like, that's eh, fine, whatever. He's a guy. We love yeah. He's one of us. He's one of the boys. Um, but that is... Um, yeah, his obsession with them is definitely a, a kind of an obvious tell um, with Bateman. Um, but, yeah, it's like this obsession with conformity to, like, stay out of the spotlight. But it's like this is, like, playing your cards too, uh, too obviously. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So one of the things about Ted Bundy is he's famously, um, like, he famously has fans even retroactively like now they're modern day people who are like oh ted bundy is such a dreamboat you know i wish <laughs> i mean he looks just like zach efron well so. yeah, sure and, and but like there are definitely uh, uh bateman is not alone in his uh idolization or praise or even just knowledge of ted bundy hmm. um which i think is interesting you murder you true crime fans out there um are you know you're you're getting your patrick bateman on when you're obsessing over <laughs> these people who do terrible terrible things historically terrible things um so this definitely reminded me of that um although i know that the true the true crime podcasting like craze is kind of behind us now but um i definitely it's still very very popular I felt, yeah i definitely felt those uh you know the same kind of thing going on here what about the past our past. We never really shared one. You're inhuman. No, I'm in, I'm in touch with humanity. I love this because like, um, no, you're not. <laughs> the, the way you say the way you say this proves you're not, right? Like, <laughs> in touch with humanity makes it sound like you're outside of them. You're not part of it, right? Uh, it's like, or like, he's not necessarily saying he's not inhuman. He, but but it doesn't matter because he's in touch with them. I think it's hilarious. No, it's like it's like if you have to say that, then you'd not like. <laughs> yeah. All right, one more. There are no more barriers to cross. All I have in common with the uncontrollable and the insane 
the vicious and the evil, all the mayhem I have caused and my utter indifference toward it, I have now surpassed. My pain is constant and sharp, and I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape. But even after admitting this, there is no catharsis. My punishment continues to elude me, and I gain no deeper knowledge of myself. No new knowledge can be extracted from my telling. This confession has meant nothing. This is the last line of the movie as it slowly pans in on his eyes and he has his, you know, coming to this realization that he's kind of reached the peak that he can at this point, but that it has brought him no pleasure in a way. Yeah, it's uh, he totally evades. So, I mean, he definitely is somewhat self-loathing. So was he hoping for some sort of like catharsis through punishment where he would finally receive what is you know he'll get what's coming to him and that will you know conclude this and maybe that will save him from his own insanity and now he's living in a world with no consequences so he'll just eternally live this hollow life where he can just get away with these these compulsions um and nothing will ever change i mean it's unclear from his interactions at the end whether he even knows what's really going on Obviously, as the audience, right, you are skeptical of him and skeptical of all the things you've seen. But is he, when he hears knowledge of Paul Allen being like having his lawyer having dinner with Paul Allen 10 days ago, my first thought is oh, that's not Paul Allen. It's he thought he was having dinner with Paul Allen, but he's having dinner with somebody else. And he, Paul Allen was assuming that guy's <laughs> identity, you know, like it's impossible to know. And but it also is possible that he didn't actually kill Paul Allen and that was all in his head, right? But what, is, but what does Patrick Bateman believe? Does he believe that he actually killed Paul Allen? And if that's the case, then it seems that no matter he, the feeling he has is exactly what you just described, that he can just do whatever he wants and there's going to be no consequence toward it. Or, you know, you, you can have the audience perspective where none of it actually happened, right? At which point that he went through all this stress for nothing and he's just a broken, broken person. And there's nothing to, nothing's going to come of that either because he works so well in the system he's in that no one can tell that he's broken. Yeah. Ambiguity is a double-edged sword here because it is thought provoking to, you know, discuss what may or may not have happened. But at the same time, it's kind of, it's unsatisfying not to know for sure, especially because this movie is very ambiguous. Um, like you said, this whole thing could have just been made up. It's not even yeah. like almost none of it. Like Patrick Bateman could be a real person who got like, exists on his own. And this guy might just be imagining his life as him. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it is, it is kind of frustrating. Although I do want to discuss the like part of the movie where you're like, okay, this definitely isn't happening, which is the rampage um, where mm -hmm. he starts with, I mean, the, the ATM is really to blame. It provoked him uh, by saying, feed me the cat. <laughs> Feed me a stray cat. He's like, I have a stray cat right here. This is easy. <laughs> and then he shoots that. He's trying to figure out how. To, he's trying to figure out how to stick it in the in the ATM. <laughs> it's not going to fit here. 
And then, um, yeah, and he shoots that lady, and then the cops show up, and then he sets off a bunch of car alarms. He has a shootout with the cops, which leads to explosions, which, where do those come from? You know, it's like, at that point, yep. you're wondering what's really going on here. Then he runs into a building and, like, gets mistaken again. His identity gets mistaken again for a Mr. Smith, and he shoots a guard, and then almost with comical timing, goes through the rotating door again so he can shoot the janitor, <laughs> then continues. Yes, that's hysterical. And then, which is, this is my theory is that all of that what happened there was some sort of hallucination or some sort of nightmare or something but then when he goes to his building that's real because he walks in and this time when he reaches for his gun to shoot the the same the desk clerk at that building he pulls out a pen and signs in right and then he goes up to the building makes the phone call which definitely happens because his lawyer knows about it later um Mm -hmm. so but there's no evidence that he enters some sort of like uh hallucinogenic state or there's some sort of disconnect from the rest of this movie so that's just you know that's me trying to fit the pieces together but they don't fit perfectly Right. Well, he walks into his building. The it's the layout is uh, almost identical to the other yes. building. There's some differences, but everything in there is like the way that the doors are laid out and the way the desk is and everything. It's almost identical. I think the pen thing is a really good indication because the way he like signs it and then like walks off with that kind of maniacal grin on his face makes it almost seem like maybe he thought he did shoot that guard. You know, right? And and what we're seeing here is like the play out of two scenes over top of each other where he came in and he he's like, I'm going to shoot this guy right here. And he but he really signs in. Um, and what you see first is what he thinks happens. And what you see second is what really happens. I mean, there's no way to tell. Um, and then when he's listing off all the murders, he's not even mentioning some of the ones that he did. And he's mentioning all sorts of ones that he that you never saw him do. So it's really hard to know, like, what really happened at all. Right. No, definitely. <laughs> So one last thing about this quote that this quote reminds me of a quote from Shakespeare that I happen to have memorized. It's from Macbeth. Um, And the reason why is because this quote ends with this confession has meant nothing. Um, The quote, uh, allow me to quote some Shakespeare for you. Please. I mean, please flex my Shakespeare. Uh, I don't even know if I, it's been so long (laughs) since I memorized it that I don't know if this is even right or if this is like a, a memory of a memory, but here we go. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps at this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. In all our yesterdays lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So the quote from Macbeth is really about like the almost the inevitability of death and like your inability to affect history. And in this way, it kind of mirrors what Bateman says here, that his inability to face consequence is his inability to affect anything um, and to never receive the punishment that he feels like he deserves, uh, despite his heinous actions that he believes he's committed. Right. To receive that catharsis. um, Yeah. I don't know if there's a similarity there, but it definitely invokes that when he says the way he says this confession has meant nothing really reminds me of the signifying nothing from that quote. Okay, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. Um, nine four nine oh four. Why are you asking me that? You know, I'm not. Really, I'm not really sure. It's um. It's not. It actually doesn't matter what time it is. You know, people can listen to this day or night. Um. Uh, so I think this concludes our conversation with uh, American Psycho. And it's time to give it our rating. Uh, Joey, do you want to go first? 
Yes, I will go first. I give this movie one stray cat. <laughs> Are you going to feed this movie one stray cat? If it asks me to. <laughs> I give this movie an 830 reservation at Dorzia. Ooh, how'd you, how did you squeeze that? <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Joey. What's Nobody ne- goes there anymore anyway. Yeah. D- all right, Joey. What's next on Apple Chat? Next, we are doing the critically acclaimed Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy, yes. Another um, listener recommendation, and it feels, at least just, I've never seen it, but looking at the front of the movie, it or the movie poster, seems like a timely thing to be watching. Uh, okay. No? <laughs> I mean, well, I can't, I don't know what you could possibly be referencing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Living in your own little bubble. Right. Uh, yeah, that, you, that might be hard to catch on, but we'll find out next week. Um if you want to hear your voice on Apple Chat, you have your voice. Your voice. You, you're going to have to take action because things are going to change around here if nobody calls our number, which we're, is 833. We're putting our foot down. <laughs> our number is 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. Call us anytime, please. Call us. I'm begging you. Calling, call, call us, us anytime for a limited time because if nobody for calls us, we're ending our voicemail service. Because it is not free, <laughs> and we're tired of spending the money if nobody's calling us. So it is fun. I trust me. It's You'll amazing. hear my voice. Exclusive affable chat content you won't hear anywhere else unless you call that. Listen, it's that it's really hard to comment on podcasts because there's no comment section. It's so diversified. Everyone's getting in on different platforms, and like if you send us an email like we have to read it or you know it's it's not visible to others these voices this is a direct line that's right you can hear yourself on our you ever you know it's during a quarantine a lot of people are thinking i should start a podcast skip that go straight to being on our podcast that's right and uh <laughs> if you want to uh hear more of us you can subscribe to us on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat. That's our handle on all three. Wow, TikTok. That's right. And <laughs> Okay, Zoomer. You can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. For the boomers out there. That's right. And we also, we also have a YouTube channel uh, where we releasing content uh, more regularly. That's we right. We just released one about toilet paper yeah which is a hot topic these days um but that's gonna do it for uh, our episode on american psycho i'm really glad we did this. this is one of my favorite movies ever um and it makes sense that we do it on this podcast but for apple chat i'm benjamin and i'm joey thanks for listening